0: I'm steal this. All right, I'm a pulpit music stand kind of guy. I have somewhere to put my Bible. All right, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to First Peter, uh, we'll be in First Peter chapter five this morning. I feel like I, uh, I should start with an apology or a disclaimer uh, on this sermon. You're curious, what does that mean? You ever have to talk about something you're no good at? <laughs> you have to preach about something that you're no good at? My goodness. So today we're talking about humility. <laughs> and uh, I am not the leading expert in humility. And I would not even say that I'm an expert in humility. Uh, it's, uh, it's an area I, I, in fact, struggle with uh, pride. Uh, So to come here before you this morning and talk about humility uh, is a little uncomfortable and maybe humbling even. Uh, It's been good for my soul, probably been good for my family as well uh, to be studying the last week or so and looking at humility. I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed that study, uh, learning and hopefully growing in that. Uh, time will tell, time will tell, uh, but I, I hope that I'm growing myself, and I'm excited this morning to bring uh, to you God's Word and the things I've been studying, the things I've been learning, and hopefully encourage you with those, uh, hopefully encourage you uh, toward a life of humility as well. Uh, we're going to be looking at how to live humbly, humble living, if you will, uh, brought to us from First Peter. If you'd please stand with me, we will read First Peter, starting at verse 5 through 11. forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. God, thank you for this uh, message from you to us and how to live humbly. God, I pray that this morning that you would um, bless the teaching of your word, uh, that it would be accurate and true, guard my mouth from error. Uh, God, help us to learn and to grow in humility, uh, even like your son, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Alright, so we're starting in the middle of verse 5, but that's kind of hard to tell you. Hey, let's start reading in the middle of verse 5. Uh, you can see all of chapter 5 is talking about, it uh, sp- starts out talking about specifics, talking to the elders. Here's specific charges to the elders, moves on to some specifics. And then halfway through verse 5, it switches to clothe yourselves, all of you. And it moves out to a more more general audience, the the whole audience of the church, if you will. And that's where we're going to pick up for sake of time. I'd love to do all of chapter 5, but you wouldn't, Uh, not today at least. We see here we start off with clothe yourself. The first point is we are to humble, or we are to be humble to one another. We are to be humble towards one another. Verse 5 says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This is the idea of putting on humility, and this this is a little strange when you when I read that. I'm like, what do you mean put on humility? I feel like humility is already hard to grasp and hard to do, and now you're telling me it's a coat? Like, how, what are we doing putting it on? And as I studied and thought, and I remember, and maybe you remember as well, um, before Jesus had the Last Supper, uh, before they celebrated Passover that last time, you can remember when Jesus went to the upper room, what did he do? When he washed the feet, he put on an apron. Remember him putting on the apron? That that apron was the, the symbol, the clothing of the lowliest servant, the most humble servant, the one who had to wash the feet of everyone else. It's not a proud position. It's not, it's not a great position. Nobody else wanted to do it. And here we see Jesus, the God of all creation, the Son of God, in flesh, puts on the apron humbling himself as he's lived a life of humility already as we try and get our minds around Philippians 2 the God of all creation becoming his own creation becoming humanity living on earth in the dust and the dirt and the sin and the grime then we see him putting on an apron to wash the feet of the disciples he's he's humbling himself even more but but more was to come in his death even that he would humble himself even to the point of death on a cross. So we see Jesus putting on humility, if you will, as he serves others. And we're to be humble towards one another like Christ. Christ is our best example of all things. So that that's true as well here as we look at the humility that he lives with, the humility that he served others with. When Christ considered others in loving them and serving them and how to do that, there was no job that was below him. that That's something I struggle with a lot. I struggle with it at home. I struggle with it at church. I struggle with it everywhere. May, maybe you too. You you walk by something and you see something and you're like, somebody should do something about that. And I keep walking. <laughs> oh, that's gross. Somebody should pick that up. Oh, somebody should take, somebody, somebody. Well, cause me. It, do i think that i'm so great that like i shouldn't have to go clean that up i shouldn't have to go fix that i shouldn't have to pick that up appreciate my wife being quiet right now she might be crying soon uh she's going to be reminding me of this later um but but truly that that's my, that's my heart that's how i think we think often as we walk around and we see things somebody should uh, not not this somebody so somebody else somebody else but when we see Christ himself, as you in that upper room, and I'm sure all the disciples are going, somebody, like, these feet need to get washed. We need to, somebody should wash our feet. Like, nobody's here. And then all of a sudden, Jesus does it. Who that had to be uncomfortable. That had to be uncomfortable. But Jesus didn't think that below himself to do that. So we were to be like Jesus in loving and serving one another. Next, we see a warning here as we clothe ourselves in humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, this opposing the proud, it still is this image of putting something on. This opposition, this opposing, is putting on war garments. It's a a dressing for battle. When it says that God opposes the proud, uh, it's not some figurative thing it's not some intellectual he's he's intellectually opposed to you now when God says that he 's opposed to the proud it's he 's dressing for battle against the proud he He is opp- opposing the proud in a warlike manner in a battle setting i don't want to go to war with God. <laughs> Can you imagine a more lopsided fight than man versus God? then we think we're going to we're going to shake our fist at God. We're going to fight God. We're going to take God down. I, I we've seen lopsided fights before in the world, right? And We could think of funny lopsided fights, but to think of the God of all creation that spoke everything into being. Let there be light. There's light. I can't speak anything into being. I can't even speak my kids' room into being clean, you know? I say, "Ethan, go clean your room." That doesn't even work. I can't speak anything into being. But God who spoke all into being, that measureless, endless power. I don't want to go to war against him. I don't want to go to battle against him. But we're warned here that God opposes the proud. The other side of that is, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen, indeed. Those who are humble, God pours out grace upon grace. Mercy upon mercy. Do you want to be standing in w- war up against God or do you want to be receiving his grace and his blessings because you're humble? It's our attitude there. So we want to be humble towards one another. The next thing we want to make sure we are doing is that we are humbling ourselves. We want to humble yourself. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. We are to humble ourselves. We are to work to be humble. Uh, we we shouldn't expect and wait for God to humble us. Now there is a sense where God can do that. We just saw God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. When He opposes the proud, He will humble you. That's not a good way to get humble. That, that's painful. That's difficult. That's hard. But God will humble the proud. Those that are those that are humble, God will give grace to. Will you humble yourself and receive grace or will you have God humble you so that you will then be humbled and hopefully receive grace? I encourage you to do the first to humble yourself, to work to be humble, to put an effort to be conscious about what you need to do to be humble every day. How do we do that? Peter immediately jumps into how do you be humble because that's what I want to know. I don't want God to oppose me. I don't want him to humble me. I'd rather humble myself. So how do we go about that? Peter says, all your cares, all your cares, casting them, casting them. We're to take all of our cares. Do you see that? In verse six, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What a beautiful verse that is. That we are able to cast all of our cares, all of our anxieties." To God. Not, not, not some blank, empty hole that we're like, oh, we're just going to throw them in a hole like, and they're going to go away. No, we're giving them to someone who cares for you. Who? Again, the same God that we say opposes to the proud. that That same mighty, powerful God. That same incredibly strong God. He cares for you. So when we take our cares and our anxieties to him, we're not taking him to some hole in the wall and dumping them out where nobody cares. We're taking them to a father who desperately wants what's best for us, what's good for us. We take our cares to him. So again, how do we be humble by taking all of our cares to him? How do, and a great way to do this, a great way I've been preaching to my own heart on how to do this is every day, every morning. Taking my cares to Him in prayer. Everything, everything—the big things, the little things—if it's—if it's on my mind, if it's on my heart, I want to take it to God. We we need—I need to force myself. I need to force myself to recognize that He's the one that's really in control of everything. <laughs> All these things that are floating around in the world that I, I'm stressing out about, that I'm thinking I got to take care of, that I'm worried about—he's the one that is in control. He's the one that has the power. He's the one that can make things come about. Why am I not running to him? Why am I being so proud and so arrogant to think I need to carry the weight of all of these burdens on my shoulders like I can do something about about it anyway? I I can't. I can't handle these things. So praying to God with all of my cares, with all of my anxieties, all my worries every day. It helps To remind me who God is and who I am. It helps to humble me. It's a helpful way to humble ourselves. I came to realize when I don't pray, when I'm not praying to God, I'm I'm being proud. I'm being arrogant. I'm telling God, like, God, I got this one. I'll handle it. not going to bother you with this. I got this one. (laughs) I can't. I don't got it. I, I blow things up all the time. I'm, I, simple things, complex things, I can mess them all up. I, I can. I'll, you know, Some of you have seen some of this already or in the past, or some of you will see it. Uh, I'm good at blowing things up. I need to not be proud and think that I can handle anything. I need to go to God with it and say, God, please help me. Please take care of this. I need to stop being humble, or stop being proud. I need to be humble. I need to stop being proud and go to God with these things. When I go it alone, on my own power, in my own power, I'm being proud. I'm being arrogant. I'm telling God he's not needed. When we go to him with our cares, I encourage you as well. um, It says all your cares, all your anxieties, casting them. Your, Your past regrets, your present anxieties, your future worries, all of those. Whenever we hold on to any of those, I think it's a sign of pride quite often. Sometimes we hold on to past regrets instead of casting them to God. Do I think that my past mistakes, my past regrets, my past sins are bigger or more powerful than Christ's blood? Do I think that Christ's blood was not sufficient to forgive everything that I have done, am I so arrogant, am I so proud to think that, that I'm so capable of sinning, and I am super capable of sinning, Uh, but to think that I'm so capable of sinning that Christ's blood can't even remove that, never, never, our present anxieties, some of you have some things to be anxious about (laughs) presently. Uh, yeah, I see the prayer request, I talk with you, I, I see people that are dealing with cancer, dealing with death of loved ones, trying to figure out how to transition families' lives that are changing dramatically. Uh, there's terrible things that happen in your in lives, and I see those things. Take them to God. Don't try and, you know, be the Western cowboy picking yourself up by your bootstraps and saying, I'm going to go this alone, I'm going to do this alone. Go to God with it. Go to God with it. Your future worries as well. Past, present, future. Some of us are great about worrying about things in the future. I'm kind of a little clear on this one. I don't really do the future thing that well. (laughs) It's planning organization. Uh, But some of us are great about worrying about things that might happen, uh, things that could happen, uh, things that could happen if this happens, if that happens, if this happens. I've talked to some people, and I'm going... You're making my brain hurt trying to track with you about how all these bad things could happen. Like, don't, We don't need to do that. We need to go to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you with my future plans. I'm going to trust you to lead where we're going. And when we hit the bumps, I'm going to trust you. When it's going good, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to quit trying to go at it myself and know everything myself. So we are to humble ourselves. Now, I want to be careful as well, because this doesn't mean that we just wander through life carelessly, not worrying about anything. It's like, all right, preacher, I don't have to worry about nothing. I'm just going to bumble through life, grin on my face, and let it hit me in the forehead as it comes. Well, I think Peter is uh, aware of my thinking like that as well. And he tells us in verse 6, be sober-minded, be watchful. Be sober-minded, be watchful. We're, we're to keep our senses about us. We're to be alert. We're to pay attention. We're, we're not to become lax in knowing what's going on. And the reason for that is because we are also to, hum, we are also to suffer humbly. So as we are being sober-minded, as we're being watchful, the reason is, you see here, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion Seeking someone to devour. Now, my tendency is to be lax. (laughs) Other people might use the word lazy. Um, To kick back and not want to worry about it. And say, it's going to come when it comes. It's going to go how it goes. And Peter's telling us to fight that. To be sober-minded. To be watchful. Because there is an enemy. Because we have a real and true enemy. And that is the devil. And there's going to be suffering in this life. Our enemy is trying to bring suffering into our life, trying to bring persecution into our life. And he is dangerous. He, he's described here as a roaring lion prowling about looking for someone to devour. Uh, once upon a time when I was in high school here, uh, we did a missions trip down to Mexico. And uh, we we're hanging out at the beach one day. And some people came and said, hey, you want to come see a lion and a monkey? At least that's what we thought they were saying, because we don't speak Spanish that well. Well, yeah, that sounds cool. So we followed down the beach a little ways. And sure enough, at this hotel down there, they have this cage. It's like 15 feet by 15 feet. There's a lion in there. And and there was several things that were surprising there. A, there was a lion uh, at the beach in a cage. But also the bars are like this wide apart. And there's no like fence to keep the humans back. There's no, like, line, line around it that says this is how far the lion can reach. Apparently, like, stupid people don't reproduce in Mexico because it was just, like, the cage was for the lion, not the people. <laughs> I remember walking up just going, oh, how close is too close here? Like, your arm's about how long? Like, I, I don't want to get this one wrong. You, I'm, it was just shocking. I'm like, I could walk in the cage with the lion and pet him if I wanted to die. Um, but the lion's in the cage, and he's doing what lions do at all zoos you've ever been to, which is sleeping very good yep he's laying there sleeping and we're looking at him going is he alive like we could walk up and poke him like cuz we could nobody's going to so i remember i get down and i'm a good distance quite safe distance away i'm sure and i, I squat down and i'm kind of trying to get in his face and look in his face and there's probably a girl there i'm trying to impress and i get down there and i give him i give him the old, here kitty 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 and i start mocking this lion you know, trying to get something out of him. His t- you can see he's alive, his tail's flapping flies or something like that. And I'm giving him the here kitty, kitty, kitty thing, thinking I'm funny. I'd never heard a lion roar before. <laughs> in in a split second, he went from sleeping to, it was somewhere between a bark and a roar. He didn't, I don't think he put a whole lot into it. He just kind of gave me the hey, be quiet. Uh, and he, he gave me this short roar, like just, "brah." And right at me and right back to sleep. And I felt my internals jiggle. <laughs> like my stomach, like intestines, like my lungs. Everything shook with the, the just the intensity of this roar. And, and I no longer looked so cool, um, as I thought I did saying, here, kitty, kitty. Because from the squatting position, I rolled backwards like a cockroach. It was all I could do. I literally fell on my back, four legs in the air, like... Ugh. I just felt everything wiggle in me. Like, am I dead? Did it kill me? Like, and I think everyone was laughing. I don't know. I was just glad I wasn't being eaten by a lion at that point. The roar of the lion was terrifying. It was intense. It was powerful. It was scary. That's what I think of when I think of this. I, I remember teasing a lion in Mexico and regretting it quickly. Our, our enemy, the devil is powerful, is mighty. He, he's out for business. He's looking to devour anyone if at all possible. He will roar and he will try to scare us with anxieties and fears and worries and attempt to paralyze us in fear. So we must be sober-minded. We must be watching. We must be alert, looking For these attacks. What are we to do? What are we to do as we watch for them? Supposed to go hit him in the head with a shovel, fight him, pull his tail? No, none of those things. We're to resist the devil. We are told to resist the devil. We're not attacking, we're not plotting, we're resisting. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about God's armor that he has given us. And we need it because we're going again. We're in a war. We're in a battle against cosmic powers, against the devil, demons. And it's true and it's real. We're not equipped for that. We might like to watch, you know, the, the movies on TV where, you know, the superheroes going against all the cosmic powers and the, the one man takes out you know all the cosmic powers in the world and the aliens and things like that. That's, that's good on a movie or a TV, but in reality, I'd get destroyed. <laughs> I'm not equipped to go to battle against these cosmic powers, against the devil on my own. So God gives us what we need in his armor. If you don't know what that is, go to Ephesians 6 later today, read it. Check it out. Put on God's armor. And you know what it says to do after you put on God's armor? You know, slay the lion, chop his head off, pull his tongue. No, it says to resist. Once you have the armor, again, resist the devil. Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. As we resist him, we see that we resist him firm in our faith. And resisting firm in our faith uh, can be a little intimidating. Sometimes I, you might read that. I used to, I've used i read that before and thought, okay, so my, I need to have like the most awesome faith to be able to resist the devil. Like maybe that's why I don't have enough faith to resist the devil. Maybe that's why I'm falling. One thing I'm encouraged by is if I were to take five of you and I had, Five bags with a million dollars in each bag, and I were to hand it to each of you. One of you might be holding it like, yeah, you know, holding it super tight. One might be holding it kind of loosely. Uh, one might be holding a little more. It doesn't matter how everyone's holding it. Each person would have a bag with a million dollars in it. What I'm trying to say here is we resist with our faith. It's not the grip that we have on our faith, it's not dependent on us. It's not our power that's allowing us to resist the devil. It's it's the faith that we hold on to. It's the faith that we have. It's the faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's that Jesus Christ has came, he died for our sins and he had victory over sin. He took our place on the cross. He was buried, he rose again 3 days later. He beat the devil. The devil's lost. He's out, he's fighting, he's, he's roaring like a lion. He's trying to take, us, take people out if he can. But we resist him with the faith of what Jesus has done. And don't stress out yourself like, I don't have enough faith, I don't believe enough. Yeah, probably not, none of us do. We should all work to grow our faith stronger. But the faith that the devil flees from is when we say, I believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe the devil is beaten. And you are done. And we are to stand firm in that. And the devil will flee because he knows he is already lost. The last way here that I see uh, see to humbly suffer. We see that we can take uh, encouragement from the solidarity that we have with the brotherhood says that we know that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. As we suffer, and we don't suffer a lot for being Christians. Uh, We suffer little in America, and that's a blessing. But when we do suffer, we know that we're not alone. Uh, We see the news reports of people that do die for their faith every day. Um, That that really suffer incredibly painful ways all over the world. So when we do suffer, when we do suffer in this world, uh, there is this solidarity to know that we are in a brotherhood, we are in a family uh, that is not just this church, but expands far beyond that. And a lot of times, I tend to think when I do suffer, I'm special. (laughs) I'm special for suffering and I'm, I, I give myself the pity party of the woe is me for suffering like nobody else suffers like this. I think there's a good reality check for myself and others here to remember that our suffering when we do suffer, um, I'm not special. <laughs> I'm not special. People all over the world are suffering. People all over this valley are suffering and, and I'd say many or most more so than me. There's encouragement in that. And then we can humbly be patient. We can humbly be patient because we're told after we have suffered a little while, after we have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Suffering a little while might be your whole life. It might be your whole life. When we say a little while here, um, it's not my little while. (laughs) It's not your little while. Uh, We don't get to pick the time frame. So we have to trust in humility God, who's in control of even our suffering, is allowing it, is permitting it. And we trust that it's just going to be for a little while. And that's true when you look at it in the light of eternity. So if you go back in time with me in your minds and you imagine high school, some of you not that long ago, some of you a while ago, <laughs> you remember thinking it was never going to get out as a freshman, never going to be an adult, I'm never going to like be able to you know turn 18 and get out and do whatever, whatever. How long did high school seem now? <laughs> It seems like shorter and shorter time to me as I get further and further from it. Imagine in a million years what your whole lifespan is going to seem like. 100 million years. What's your whole lifespan going to seem like? 10 billion years from now. This will have been a day. And we'll look back and say, I could have put up with anything, I could have suffered through anything. Considering the grace, the God of all grace that I am with for eternity, this is great. This is great. This is amazing to be in the presence of God. So be encouraged that your suffering, though it la- may last a lifetime, can only last a lifetime. It'll only be a little while. So let us suffer humbly, trusting God's time and God's plan that it will end, that he is the God of all grace, and in his timing, whether in this life or in the next, at the right time, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That encourages me. I I hope that encourages you. I hope you see that and go, I can do anything. I I could put up with anything. I could take any suffering because the God of all grace is in control. And I need to trust that. I need to believe that. I need to remind myself that every day when I get up and I'm I'm tempted to worry. I'm tempted to stress. I'm tempted to fret about the past, the present, the future things that are going on. I'm tempted to put everything on my shoulders and try and do it all myself because I can and I'm strong. No, I'm not. And I can't. I need to take them to God. I need to set them before God and ask for Him to help me. I need to be humble in the way that I live. I need to be humble towards those around me and look for opportunities to serve and to love one another, knowing there's no job that is beneath me. When I walk by something and say, someone should do that, I need to start saying, I should do that. We need to humble ourselves, lest God does it for us. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I thank you for this morning and this chance to look at your word and to be reminded of your Son and his incredible sacrifice that he took our place on the cross, uh, the ultimate example of humility and of love for others. He did for us what we could never have done for ourselves. Uh, Thank you, God, that Jesus didn't look at us and say, Somebody should do something about them, but that Jesus said, I'll do something. You sent him to die for us. God, I pray that you would make us humble people, that you would help us to grow in humility, that we would love each other well, that we would serve each other well, that we would take our cares and our anxieties and throw them upon you, and that we would also trust your timing and your plan, even amongst incredible suffering and pain, difficulties that do come in life. God, mostly I pray that we would hold strong to the faith that we have and what your Son has done. That in that we would resist the devil and see him flee from us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, we will see you next week. You feel free to head down to the fellowship hall. There's some refreshments and fellowship down there.